Let's bow our heads for an additional word of prayer as we begin. Father, we just thank you that your spirit is promised to us. We are human beings. We have sinful natures and selfish hearts and finite minds, and we are handling spiritual things. We know that the spirit can help us understand them, but without the spirit, we cannot. And so I just pray that you would be with us this afternoon, that you'll bless our time, that it might be profitably used. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at reasons the early rain is needed to begin with. First of all, um, with no, there is no latter rain without the early rain. And last night we talked about the, 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 the different rains, right? As the ground was planted, they needed the early rain to bring forth the, the sprouts, the plant. And this is what it says, Testimonies to Ministers, page 506. The latter rain ripening earth's harvest represents the spiritual grace that prepares the church for the coming of the Son of Man. Let's pause right there. Do you think we might need some spiritual grace in God's church before we're ready for the second coming? I believe this is true. But unless the former rain has fallen, there will be no life. The green blade will not spring up. Unless the early showers have done their work, the latter rain can bring no seed to perfection. This is why it's so important for us to be praying on a regular basis, asking God, like the disciples did after, after Jesus left and before Pentecost, they were earnestly praying that God would fulfill His promise. He promised that He would send power, and they were praying for it, and they were asking for it. So we need the early rain, because without it, we cannot have the latter rain. And once again, I just want to say, I, I catch myself thinking, the whole the, the latter rain is just going to change me, right? There's just going to be there's going to be something there's going to be something you know that just comes upon the church, including me, I guess, in that assumption. And and the reality is, it's not. The early rain has to do its work first before the latter rain can give that finishing touch. And that's why it's so important that we be studying and praying for the early rain, the Holy Spirit. The latter rain can't do what the early rain is to do. Again, page 507, many have in a great measure failed to receive the former rain. They have not obtained all the benefits that God has thus provided for them. They expect the lack will be supplied by the latter rain. When the richest abundance of grace shall be bestowed, they intend to open their hearts to receive it. They are making a terrible mistake. So last night we looked at, at what they were doing to prepare for the early rain. Just, just in Acts chapter 2, we, we saw how they were coming together. They were fellowshipping. They were studying the word. They were breaking bread together. They were, they were praising God together. They, they, they were willing to sacrifice to, to help one another. They held all things in common. We, and I think we agreed, I agreed, <laughs> that that's not talking about communism. That's talking about the willingness to to give of your own to help your brother and sister. And the reason I don't think it's communism is because Ananias and Sapphira, they clearly had personal property and the choice of what to do with their money, right? So it wasn't that there wasn't personal property being held in the New Testament. We're not talking about communal living when it says we held all things in common. It's simply that they were willing to share and to give what they had for one another. And, and so here you have a, a church that's united, and it's upon this church that the, that the early rain is poured out. 
and it's upon this church that then it says the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And frankly, this is simply saying that that work of heart preparation, of humbling ourselves and of, of, of coming to view each other. Remember it said that each one saw each other, the, the finest graces of the character of Jesus. That's how they looked upon their brothers and sisters. They saw the good things in them. That's not the work the latter rains intended to do. And if the early rain doesn't do its job, the latter rain's not going to do it. So, number three, we won't recognize the latter rain without having experienced the early rain. But there must be no neglect of the grace represented by the former rain. Only those who are living up to the light they have received will they have will receive greater light. Unless we are daily advancing in the exemplification of the active Christian virtues, we shall not recognize the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain. It may be falling on hearts all around us, but we shall not discern it or receive it. This is a passage that always gives me pause. What if it's falling now and I'm not aware of it? Am I going to be experiencing the latter rain or am I simply going to be passed by? And the, the, the answer to that question is answered, it's, it's answered by whether I'm receiving the early rain, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring about a work of repentance and humility and unity and love of the brethren that I need right now. In fact, I think that most likely, I think there's other passages that would bear this out, most likely those who don't receive the latter rain will look around at people who are receiving the latter rain and they'll probably think they're some sort of fanatics. They'll probably think they're, some, they're, they're just not quite right. It, um, maybe they're extreme, you know, we want to be middle of the road. Um, and by the way, I want to be balanced, but I want to be balanced right in the Bible because it's not halfway between the right and the left that's balanced. The Bible's always balanced. Even if the whole world thinks it's extreme, the Bible is balanced. Amen? And so we don't try to just, uh, I think I'm about halfway between these two ditches um, that we see in the world around us. No, we want to be right-centered on the Word of God. And that's, that's where the latter rain is going to be falling as well. The fourth reason that um, the early rain is needed. Receiving it prepares us to value the latter rain. We may be sure that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, those who did not receive and appreciate the early rain will not see or understand the value of the latter rain. So important for us today um, that we are seeing and... Um, and understanding the value, and that happens when we are experiencing the early rain as well. The fifth reason the early rain is needed in our lives is that if we neglect it, we won't be able to receive the latter rain. I saw that many were neglecting the preparation so needful and were looking to the time of refreshing and the latter rain to fit them to stand in the day of the Lord and to live in His sight. Oh, how many I saw in the time of trouble without a shelter. They had neglected the needful preparation, therefore they could not receive the refreshing that all must have to fit them to live in the sight of a holy God. 
In other words, friends, what we're trying, to, we're trying to understand here is that the early rain, which was given to the church at Pentecost and is still available to us today, if we're not making use of that, we're not going to be able to, uh, to, to have the further blessings of the latter rain. Does this make sense? I mean, this is, this is very, very, it may seem simplistic, but it's really important. It's really important because I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is just sort of a peripheral subject. We don't really, we don't really, we don't re- really sense our need on a daily basis of the Holy Spirit like we should, like we ought to. And it's okay if we don't, I suppose it's okay if we don't focus upon the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is, it seems to in Scripture and even in the work that it does in our hearts, it seems to take sort of a, almost a behind the, behind the curtain role, doesn't it? It's, it's meant to point our eyes to Jesus, isn't it? It's meant to point our eyes to the cross. It's meant to point our eyes to the sanctuary in heaven. The Holy Spirit is not dancing around saying, look at me, look at me, I'm the important thing. And so if in a sense, it's not so important that we focus on the Holy Spirit, but that it is important that we experience what the early rain was meant to bring. And that was that heart conversion that, and, and last night when we studied the early rain, we saw that it, was, it came to bring the church into unity and into mission and to be, make it effective. But it also can be seen in the individual as that first love experience in my life. When I experience the early rain, it's when Jesus comes to me and Jesus begins to be real to me. I may not realize, oh, that's the early rain. But it is the early rain. You understand what I'm saying? And so when I, when I was a, um, I mentioned last night that, um, that in my late teens, I had a reconversion experience where I came to realize that even though I was in the church, I was like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. I had been there working the whole time, but I really wasn't in, in concert with the father's heart, you understand. I was like the, the son that the father said, go work today in my vineyard. And he said, yes, sir. And then he went fishing according to Uncle Arthur's illustrator, right? Um, but, the, the, but, but afterwards, um, the, the, the one who was rebellious is the one that actually ended up going and doing God, the Father's work in the vineyard, right? And I was that. And, and I remember when I was about 18, I was at, a, at, a, I was at there were two messages that, that I heard. And believe it or not, they were those two parables. And one was, they were within like a week or a week and a half of each other. One was a Friday night Vespers, the other was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And one was on the, uh, I know for sure one was on the two sons, you know, the one who said I won't go and the other one said I did. The other one um, may have just been on Matthew 7. I don't remember for sure right now. But these two messages began to speak to my heart. And the Holy Spirit began to convict me that I was, I was in the church but I was not converted. And, and frankly, friends, if we take Jesus' words at face value, which I recommend we should, it's more dangerous to be in the church and unconverted than in the world and know you're lost. Because Jesus said words, if we follow that through, that parable, when the Pharisees said, you know, he asked them which of the two did the will of the Father, and, and the Pharisees said, well, the one who said, I won't go, but afterwards repented and went, right? And Jesus rejoined, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, the publicans 
and harlots. In modern parlance, that would be, I think, something like the mafia bosses and prostitutes, right? They're going to get to heaven before you do. What does that mean? It means someone who is lost and knows they're lost is closer to salvation than someone in the church who thinks they're saved but are really lost. I, that's the only way I know, know to understand it. And so I tell, I, I've preached a few sermons where I've told my parishioners, it's dangerous to be in the church. It's dangerous. I should say to be in the church and be unconverted, right? Because there's so many things that we can sort of assuage our conscience with and think that I'm doing okay and I do this and I don't do the things that those people do and I, I pay my tithe and I go here and I don't go there and I eat this and I don't eat that. And all the different things that our mind plays tricks on us into thinking that we're really okay when what we need is the early rain. And as I was convicted of these truths, as I listened to those two sermons, I was about an 18-year-old and I began realizing that I was... I was, um, I was the one being talked about. That's the Holy Spirit. You remember we talked this morning about the work of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit convicts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't say, hey, I'm here. I'm the Holy Spirit. You've got to make sure you, you know it's me. No, but the Holy Spirit was doing its work, friends. It was doing its work. And, um, and so um, I remember one night... I, um, I really didn't know what to do because I had grown up in the church and I had grown up studying the Bible and I knew the Bible so well and I thought, well, if I'm unconverted now, then what do I do to get converted? You know what I mean? It's sort of like, what can I do? And I started realizing like my profession had been so high, but my heart was so low. And how could I, how sh how could I really be saved? And I began to think back. And, and you remember we also talked this morning about the difference between conviction, the Holy Spirit convicts, and the devil convicts, right? Which one gives us hope? The Holy Spirit gives us hope. The devil doesn't give us hope. But as I was thinking, this conviction came into my heart. And I really think the devil knows what he's doing. I think he studies us. I don't believe he can read my mind, but I think he can certainly read my face. And I think the devil knows when we're coming under conviction from the Holy Spirit. And then it's when, that's when he starts piling on, you see. As long as we're comfortable and we think everything's A-OK -okay and we're fine, he's not going to bother talking to us. You know, he's going to let us just have a good little existence. Um, but, but he, uh, on this particular night, I remember, I, I prayed a prayer as I was going to bed, because I was just sort of befuddled. I thought, what can, wh how, what do I do, you know? What do I do? I, I want to be, I want to be saved. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. And I realized I wasn't, and I didn't. So I prayed a prayer that night. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. By the way, it's okay to be honest with God, isn't it? You never surprise him. That's one thing I've learned. He already knew. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I want to be saved. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to help others be saved. I'm going to give you permission to save me, whatever it takes. I don't know where this prayer came from, but this is something that either I'd heard someone talk about before or somehow was in my mind at least. I prayed this prayer. I remember distinctly praying this prayer. Whatever it takes, whatever you need to do to get through to this heart of mine, 
do it. Because in my mind, it was half Holy Spirit, and I believe it was half the devil, because I, I, I know the Holy Spirit had brought me to awareness of my lost condition. I know the Holy Spirit did that. Because um, I'm pretty sure the devil would have been fine for me to just sail on. But at the same time, I began doubting. Like, you know, the more we know, and yet when we're not living to, up to what we know, the harder our hearts become, right? And I'm thinking, I know so much. I grew up, I, I know my Bible, I've studied the Bible, I preached, I've, I've given Bible studies, I've done all these things, but I, how could, what, what would, and so I just gave God permission. I said, whatever it takes. And in the back of my 18-year-old mind, there was a terrible, terrible option that he had on the table. It sounds silly to talk about it, actually. Um, but the worst thing that I could imagine could possibly happen to me, that God might allow in order to save my soul, and which I was giving him permission to do, by the way, I really meant what I said, whatever it takes. But in the back of my mind, the worst case scenario was I would be in some terrible accident and become a quadriplegic. You know, when you're an 18-year-old kid and physical and active and everything else, that's a really big cross to bear. But in my heart, I said, Lord, even if it's that, whatever it is, I just want to be saved. I just want you to do what it takes. Now, nothing happened. As you can see, I still have my faculties, or at least those. Um, I, I mean, literally nothing happened. Like I prayed that prayer have you ever prayed a prayer and it feels like it never went higher than the ceiling? Have you ever prayed? Have you ever felt that way? Like, okay, I'm saying this and I'm really meaning it, and I'm 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 praying something very sincere and very earnest, and it just felt like God did not even hear me. And I remember crawling into bed. I was away from home at the time, and um, I'm. Just, staying with some friends, doing some Bible work. And I remember crawling into bed that night and this overwhelming sense of hopelessness began to wash over my soul. I can't explain it. It was as if, it was already dark, but it was as if it got darker and darker and darker. And I remember thinking, there's no hope for me. It's too late. It can't be, but it felt like it. And I can tell you one thing, I didn't sleep at all that night. I tried praying, nothing. I cried, nothing. I got up the next morning, the lady of the home I was staying in, she saw me as I was going to take my shower, and she said, what happened to you? I was white as a sheep. I really believed my heart was too hardened. 
and I had known too much for too long and not lived up to the light that God had given me. And I remember, even as I went to the shower, I was just crying and praying and asking God to hear me and save me. And It was sometime that morning, early in the morning, as I, uh, as I went to have my devotions, that for the first time of those, I don't know, 8 or 10, 12 hours, whatever it was, since I'd prayed that prayer the evening before, for the first time after this experience of just oppressive darkness, for the first time I realized, I remembered the prayer I had prayed. And I found something very, very peculiar, friends. I found that when I opened my Bible and began reading it, that oppressive blackness lifted. I cannot begin to explain to you what that was like, what that blackness, that pressure, that... But I can tell you one thing. When the only way to get rid of it is to read God's Word, you read God's Word. And so I found that when I put the Bible down, I was, I, it came right back. So I just kept studying. I just kept reading. Let me tell you, I wanted this, this Bible better be really close to my side because it felt like a matter of life and death to this 18-year-old at that point. It was, it was that oppressive of a darkness. And I remember I, was, I had the same experience as I was reading some of the other books that I read for my devotions, and I was reading from the book Steps to Christ, and I remember specifically reading this passage, and I may be paraphrasing it a little bit, but it says something to the extent of every longing of the soul after righteousness is evidence of the Holy Spirit's working on the heart. And I said, that's it. That's it. The Holy Spirit hasn't left me. I'm still, I'm still desiring righteousness. I'm still longing after His forgiveness and after His peace. And I, of course, intellectually I knew the unpardonable sin was not, it really is when we don't, care anymore, right? I mean, in hindsight, I know that couldn't have been the unpardonable sin I was going through. But at the time, I felt like there was no hope. And, and sometime that morning, as I was reading, and I realized that I still, had, I still had to reprieve as I studied, and as I began claiming the promises that I found, like that one in Steps to Christ, uh, like the ones in, in the Bible, Jesus says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise, the King James says, it's, it basically means for no reason cast out. In other words, if you go to Jesus, friends, he's never going to reject you. It doesn't matter if your motives are terrible because you can't change your heart before you go to him anyway. It doesn't matter if you're going for the wrong reason, if you're afraid of hell or, or, or wanting to walk on, on streets of gold. Your motivation may be the worst motivation, but if when you go to Jesus, he accepts you the way you are and he changes you. And I began praying and studying, and I began to realize that when nothing happened, something had happened. By not answering my prayer, by not giving me a sense that my prayers were answered and the peace of God in my soul 
like I had experienced before when I repented and asked God into my heart, by this withdrawing, as it were, I truly believe that God gave me a little bit of a taste of what sin really is. Sin separates us from God. And on the tree, on top of Mount Calvary, when Jesus was crucified, he experienced the eternal separation and hopelessness that sin brings. He tasted that for me and for you and for every one of us. The intention was so that we never have to experience it. Now, I don't for one minute think that I experienced the second death <laughs> on that night when I was 18. I don't believe that at all. I think I probably got a little smidgen of it. But I'll tell you one thing. There was a, there was a, there was, there was a change in my heart that nothing else could have affected. I hated sin, and I wanted to be close to Jesus. Sometimes I wish I could have that experience more often. It totally shook me to the core as I said, I need, I want more of Jesus and I want anything that separates from me, him from me to be out of my life. I mean, the way I thought, the way I talked, the way I drove, everything changed. And it's because the Holy Spirit had done a work in my life. And that's when, as I mentioned last night, I began a journey. And, and sometimes I'd be studying my Bible and, and praying. And a, a little thing that I had said years before would pop into my mind. And, and I would think, well, that was a small thing. And I'd shove it away. You ever, you ever had that experience? And then I would say, well... Next time I'm studying and praying and I'm thinking about it again, oh, but it's a small thing. I, and eventually the Holy Spirit would bring me to the point where I said, look, if Chester, if it's a small thing, just go to that person and make it right. Just ask for forgiveness. Just say you're sorry, right? And if it's such a small thing, then it won't be a big deal. Why is it so hard for us to do that? Is it because of our pride? I really believe, friends, that that kind of experience we need the Holy Spirit to accomplish. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of those things. We need the Holy Spirit's power to help us do those things. And I began to, to, uh, to say, look, it doesn't matter how small it is. It, if, it, if, it, if it's going to separate me from Jesus or from the peace that I want to have with him, I want to get it out of my life. I want, I'd rather be considered a fanatic going and apologizing for something I said years ago or whatever it may be because that's the way the Holy Spirit begins to, to change us. And I, I'm telling you, friends, as you, as you experience the Holy Spirit working on that early rain, as you experience, it makes you more careful what you say after you've had to go back and apologize to something for, to, for something you said, Right? the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in your heart that you never thought was possible. And I really believe the early rain is needed in my experience today. I need it. I need it more than I needed it then. I still need it because without the Holy Spirit now doing that work and bringing me into a, into a situation where the latter rain can be poured out, I won't, be, I won't be ready to receive it. I can't receive it when the latter rain is poured out. 
the sixth reason that the early rain is needed. Both early and latter rain, a salvational matter. Divine grace is needed at the beginning, divine grace at every step of advance, and divine grace alone can complete the work. There is no place for us to rest in a careless attitude. If we do not progress, if we do not place ourselves in an attitude, ourselves in an attitude to receive both the former and the latter rain, we shall lose our souls, and the responsibility will lie at our own door. Solemn words, right? Solemn words. They impress upon me the need for the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the seven conditions for the latter rain. And I want to, I want to, um, I want to invite you as you're thinking about this, not just to be thinking about your own personal experience, which is the most important, but I want you to also think about this corporately as a fellowship here, as a community of believers, as what in your family, however corporately may mean for you, but seven conditions for the latter rain to be poured out on the earth. First of all, an enlightened people. The great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with His glory, will not come until we have an enlightened people that know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. So this, this means that most of us... Notice, notice a couple of things in this passage. First of all, um, it, it's not until we have an enlightened people... And, and that means that the, the Holy Spirit's power is not going to be poured out indiscriminately. It's going to be poured out when the church is ready. And it's when, the, uh, when people know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. That means that they're experiencing. And I would suppose this means both in their own personal walk, right? As well as in their laboring together with God to save other souls. They're working. In other places, she talks about the Holy Spirit not being poured out until the majority of our workers, our members, are, are working together um, for the salvation of souls. So this is, this, is a, this is something that we ought to be saying, okay, um, number one, am I an enlightened people or person? Number two, is that manifested by my being a co-laborer with Jesus? Working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, yes, but also being a builder with him as we try to share his word with others. The second condition for the latter rain, a cleansed people. Review and Herald, March 22, 1892. If you are to give yourselves to God that he may make you of you vessels unto honor and meet for his service. I'm sorry, today you are to give yourselves to God that he may make you vessels unto honor and meet for his service. Today you are to give yourself to God that, he, that you may be emptied of self emptied of envy, jealousy, evil surmising, strife, everything that shall be dishonoring to God. Today you are to have your vessel purified, that it may be ready for the heavenly dew, ready for the showers of the latter rain. And so a cleansed people, a purified people, and, and I really believe, friends, that is the work of the early rain. Okay, uh, last night, remember I told you about one of the, my friends in college, I, I went to him and apologized for something I had said, and he, he looked at me and he smiled and he said, the early rain, brother, the early rain. And that was the first time I realized, you see, the Holy Spirit takes a back seat, doesn't it? 
The Holy Spirit's not out there saying, ah, I'm, I'm the early rain. But he's doing his work. He's doing his work. He's doing his job. And I began to realize that, that purification of our hearts, that, that repentance of our sins, and that making right the throngs we have with one another, that's all a part of being ready for the outpouring of the latter rain. Today, give yourself to God, emptied of self, emptied of envy, jealousy, evil surmising, strife, everything that shall be dishonoring to God. I'll tell you what, if the church, if a church or any church or your church or my church, if a group of people experienced the early rain, it'd be a pretty nice group of people to be a part of, wouldn't it? There'd be no gossip. There'd be no judging. There'd no, be no gossiping. There'd be no jealousy. There'd be no power struggles when it came to nominating committee or any other time, right? Because the Holy Spirit would have done a work that uh, we need to have done. Um, and that's why the church will grow in such a powerful way where the latter rain is poured out. The Spirit can never be poured out while variance and bitterness toward one another are cherished by the members of the church. Envy, jealousy, evil surmising, and evil speaking are of Satan, and they effectually bar the way against the Holy Spirit's working. Nothing else in this world is so dear to God as his church. He will call to account all who aid Satan in his work of criticizing and discouraging. Wow. Doesn't mince words there. Um, very straight and to the point. Um, that's Satan's work. We're supposed to be about God's work, right? God's God's business, um, not, not about the work of Satan. Number four, a praying people. The whole heavenly treasure awaits our demand and reception. And as we receive the blessing, we in our turn are to impart it. Thus it is that the holy lamps are fed and the church becomes a light bearer in the world. So, this promise of the Spirit, the whole heavenly treasure, awaits our demand and reception. Ask for it, pray for it, intercede for it, and God is able to fulfill His promises. Continuing on, Testimonies, Volume 5, another, another passage says, We should pray as earnestly for the descent of the Holy Spirit as the disciples prayed on the day of Pentecost. If they needed it at that time, we need it more today. Praying earnestly for the Holy Spirit. Praying and asking for it. Number five, a working people. When we have an entire wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of His Spirit without measure. But this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not laborers together with God. This is a very pivotal requirement. Um, it means we need to find ways to work for others, to be co-laborers with God. It doesn't mean you're all preachers. It doesn't mean we all have to go into a vocation that is, that is you know, a full-time ministry job. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that at all. 
It simply means that we need to be co-laborers with God. No matter, you know, you can have some glow tracks in your pocket that you give to people and pray that God's going to give you a divine appointment. You're a co-laborer with God, right? You, you may not even have glow tracks. You may just need to make friends with your neighbors, help them carry the groceries in, or, or do something, you know, to help them. Um, there's, there's thousands of things you can do to be intentional about being a co-worker with God besides preaching or teaching or doing evangelism, right? And no matter what your vocation is, your career is, your calling is, your calling is to be a co-laborer with Jesus. No matter what you do to pay the bills, you can do something to win souls and to be making friends for Jesus. This will not be while the largest portion of the church are not laborers together with God. What am I doing today? What am I doing today to be a co-laborer with God? Any one of us can be that. Uh, again, when the churches become living, working churches, the Holy Spirit will be given an answer to their sincere request. The followers of Christ will be united in love. Continuing on, still in the fifth condition, the measure of the Holy Spirit we receive will be proportioned. You know, I don't know if it's just my, my uh, is it right brain? No, left brain, mathematical, analytical type things, but I like passages like this that talk about proportions, you know? I mean, it's like a mathematical formula right here in the book. The measure of the Holy Spirit we receive will be proportioned to the measure of our desire and the faith exercised for it, and it says, the use we shall make of the light and knowledge that shall be given to us. How do you like that? In other words, the more we desire it, the more we exercise faith to receive it, the more Holy Spirit we're going to be given. And it goes on. It says, we shall be entrusted with the Holy Spirit according to our capacity to receive and our ability to impart it to others. So, so I remember when I first read this, it wasn't in a study of the Holy Spirit. It was just in, in my own devotional life. I read this many, many, many years ago. And I remember thinking, you know, this gives me reason, a good reason to do all kinds of things. Learn another language. It's not so I can go travel in some exotic place. Listen, if I learn another language, I'll have the ability to impart to others that I won't have just speaking English, right? Um, it, it colors a lot of self-betterment that I wanted to do because I said, look, if, if I can just impart more to others, I can receive more of the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a pretty cool promise, isn't it? My desire for it, my earnestness, my faith exercise for it, my capacity to receive it, and my ability to impart it to others. And by the way, our capacity to receive it, I think, is, is probably mostly dependent upon how much self has been set aside in our life, right? Um, there's no limit to the usefulness of one who by setting self aside, remember that passage, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart. So our capacity to receive, I think, has to do with how much we are centered on self versus self has been emptied. Number six, a temperate people 
What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? There are many reasons that we could give for the health message. But let's not forget the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And that simply means that if we're not taking care of our bodies, we're not taking care of the, the abode of the Holy Spirit to be able to live in us. And so one of the reasons why I want to be as healthy as possible is because I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want Him to have a, a, a consecrated temple to be able to, to live in. And finally, at the uh, early writings, page 33, it says, At the commencement of the time of trouble, we were filled with the Holy Ghost as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. I believe that the Holy Spirit is poured out on all Christians who are sincerely seeking Christ today, without question, the early reign. That work of repentance, that work of conversion, that work of heart change, right? But I think there is a time coming in the future when there's going to be a challenge and there's going to be a decision. The world's going to have to make the decision, not just you and me. Everybody in the world will have to make a decision whether they, whether they obey God or whether they obey man. And at this point in Earth's history, at that point in Earth's history, I should say, when God's people are facing a time of trouble, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. We talk about that as the latter rain, right? But it's going to be people who are keeping the commandments of Jesus, keeping the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So we've looked at seven um, reasons the Holy Spirit, the early rain is important. We've looked at six reasons the early rain is important and seven prerequisites for the, whole, for the latter rain. And I just, want to, I just want to close by turning your attention to the book of Revelation. Revelation, just briefly here, let's, let's look at a couple of passages because I think they are pointing out the difference between the church with the latter rain power and um, the Holy Spirit's power, I should say, and the church, with, uh, well, maybe without it. Um, it's a sad testimony that the book of Revelation has to talk about the church without the Holy Spirit's power, but we know that's the case. In fact, in, 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 the, in the seven churches, the last church, Laodicea, right? Um, it's clearly not a church that's experiencing the fullness of the early reign, much less the latter reign. Rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, they think, we think, but really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, right? It's a pretty disparate Situation, But I want you to look at two passages. We're going to look first at Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 and 7. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven with an everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God <coughs> and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, I know that we're familiar with this passage. I know that we believe that this is talking about a worldwide message. The angel is a messenger, right? That's what an angel means, angelos. 
in, in the original language. It's a messenger, and it's a message that's being taken, symbolizing the message being taken by God's people all around the world, the last major message to be taken to the world. And there's three angels that fly here. The first angel we just read, it's the everlasting gospel. The second angel says Babylon is fallen. The third angel says don't drink of the... Of, of the um, uh, don't worship the, the beast or its image. If you do, you're going to drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. So it's a very clear message that's given here. It's a worldwide message. And all three angels are described as speaking with what kind of voice? A loud voice. And it's, you, might, you might assume that it's effective, right? Because it's going to the whole world. It's an effective message. It's being taken globally. And as I look at the history of the three angels' messages over the last, the last several, um, well, 170 years or so, I guess it's been, as I look at the history, the, the three angels' messages, as this book of Revelation began to be studied and understood back in the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s, and the, this message of the three angels' message began to be preached around the world, we see that it's gone very rapidly, hasn't it? The, 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 um, the message of fearing God, giving glory to Him, the hour of His judgment has come, and worshiping, that's a quote directly from the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, right? That message has gone around the world very rapidly. The Seventh-day Adventist movement, which is taking this message of the judgment hour and the Sabbath and keeping the commandments of God, and this is a message that has grown so quickly. It's, it's, um, it's one, of the, one of the youngest denominations, but it's the, one of the most geographically diverse denominations. In fact, by some calculations, we, we are the most widespread geographically Protestant denomination in the world. But by some calculations, when you include ADRA and some of the other things that we're doing in countries, um, we actually have a presence in more countries and areas than even any other Christian group, which is pretty remarkable for a young church, right? A young, so I would argue that the three angels' message is going, it's going with a loud voice, and it's going quickly, but we're still here. I want you to notice with me Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18, and we're not going to spend a lot of time because most of you, I think, are probably already familiar with these passages, but I want you to just see the a contrast in Revelation chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel, verse 1, coming down from heaven having great authority, or uh, the King James says great power, and the earth was lightened with his what? With his glory. Now, if angels are a, mess, are a symbol of God's message being taken by his people, the first three angels, they went around the world with a loud voice, right? The fourth angel in Revelation 18, it, it has great power, and it lightens the earth with, with its glory. Of course, glory is a symbol of what? Character. Read Ezekiel chapter thir uh, Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, and through chapter 34, verse 6 or so. You remember Moses in the mount? He said, Lord, I beseech you, show me your glory. And the Lord God passed before him. And he, he revealed to him his character, long-suffering and merciful and gracious and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. It was his character. And so we understand that when the Holy Spirit 
transforms us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image even as by the Spirit of the Lord, right? So God wants to change us into His glory or His character. I want to propose to you, friends, that so far in Adventist history, we've had a loud voice. What we need is God's Spirit to change us from glory to glory so that the earth can be lightened with the glory of God. The last demonstration of mercy for this planet is a demonstration of God's love, God's character of love. That's what this world needs. Sometimes we've been relatively good at proving and not so good about living. It makes me think of Jonah, actually. Jonah's maybe not the first person we think of when we read Revelation 18. But I think he's a pretty good illustration of Adventism. Um, not the whole being swallowed by fish. That's not what I was thinking of. But you remember he went and he preached? Where did he preach? Nineveh. Nineveh was the New York of the times, you know. Nineveh was the city. It was, it was rich. They were fashionable and everything else, you know. They were pagans. That's why he didn't want to go there. It'd be a lot easier to preach at Avon Hope. <laughs> no, but, it, you know, going to an audience where they're not friendly, that's not, I mean, we don't like to do that so much. It's hard, and, 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 and man, I wish I had a copy of his sermons. You ever thought about that? I think Jonah has to go down in all time, the greatest evangelism, evangelist in history. He went and he started preaching in the city of Nineveh and he started on one side and he preached all the way through the city and when he got to the other side, the whole city had been converted. I'm telling you, if you did that, any one of you guys or gals, if you did that in New York City, the whole city was converted, you can get a job as an evangelist in any conference pretty much, you know. I mean, the whole city! The king was repenting in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, Times Square shut down. Imagine. It's crazy stuff when you think about it. Put it in today's world, right? An evangelist comes into town and the whole city is converted. He's got to be one of the greatest evangelists that ever preached. I wish I had his notes. But this book of Jonah ends in the most quizzical way. You remember he left the city of Nineveh and he went out to watch the fireworks. He found a good spot by which he could see and that wicked city he could see them destroyed. And his time prophecy came and went. 
and nothing happened. Why? Because they had repented. And when judgments of God are predicted because of sin, and a person repents, God repents of the judgments. That's clear in Scripture, isn't it? And by the way, when blessings of God are, are promised because of obedience, and the person stops obe obeying, the blessings are canceled. That's what, that's what the Scripture says, right? And so here he is outside of Nineveh, waiting to see this conflagration. It doesn't happen, and Jonah becomes angry. I would propose to you that it's because he knew the teachings of God without understanding or reflecting the character of God. It is possible to share the message of God for our day and to share it well, but not to experience a reflection of God's character not to be reflecting God's character. You remember Revelation chapter, not Revelation, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the love chapter, right? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I have not love, that's the character of God, isn't it? I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And I propose to you, friends, this afternoon, that the three angels, us, speaking with a loud voice. It can be effective. We've, we've seen great, we've seen great uh, progress, but it can also be annoying. And what God, when I read chapter 18, the fourth angel, I don't find a new message. Basically, everything in chapter 18, the ideology, the teaching, is there in chapter 14. What's changed is that instead of having a loud voice, it has great power and lightens the earth with the glory of God. And I believe, friends, God is waiting. Heaven is waiting. The world is waiting for that kind of angel, that kind of messenger in Revelation 18. A messenger that not only has the ideology and can preach or teach the truth but whose hearts and lives have been so transformed by the Holy Spirit being accepted in early rain measure and even in latter rain measure that the world says, ah, I heard the truth before, but now I can see with my own eyes. Now I can understand what it looks like. Now I understand God better because I see it walking in human flesh in God's people. That's what we want, isn't it? And that's really why we ask for the Holy Spirit, so that we can be transformed. I'm praying for that day. I'm praying that day will come soon, when the fourth angel will not only be heard, but will be seen and felt. The whole earth can be lightened with the character of God. Is that your desire? You want to ask God to send his Holy Spirit to work in your life? to prepare you and to make you a part of that great message. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given to us a chance to study here this weekend just shortly more about the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that you would just 
Forgive us for our hard hearts. Forgive me for my hard heart, Lord. Forgive me for where I have worked and acted and done and even ministered in my own strength instead of needing and and desiring and earnestly pleading for the Holy Spirit. Forgive me where I have not allowed room for the Holy Spirit in my heart because I've been full of self and pride. Lord, show me the things in my life that need to be changed by your Spirit. Show me my sin, Lord, but always show me my Savior, that I might become more like him. Forgive us for where we have failed you and help us to experience right now what we can experience, the early rain that came on Pentecost, the unity in the church and the body, the, the, the desire to, to give and spend and be spent and, and to serve and, and to make our walk with you the great business of our lives. Lord, we just need, we need a heart transformation. We need more of your spirit. We pray that we might receive it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.